following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would be at work uh, in our hearts. Uh, May our hearts be fertile ground for the message you have for us. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you still speak in spite of me, and I pray that this morning uh, you would be heard clearly by your people. We love you, Lord, and give you this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, and as we've sung already this morning, for Paul, the apostle, to live was Christ and to die was gain. The single focus of his life was to live to do the work of Christ while he was still alive. And although his desire was uh, to pack up his tent and move on, Uh, move on from this life so that he could be with Christ. He knew that to remain in this life meant uh, he could continue to do the work that Christ had given him, and that would be beneficial to the church for their progress and a joy in the faith. Um, His pursuit was not... uh, to build up his bank account or have a nice house and a comfortable life. Uh, The life that the Lord had called him to is not comfortable at all. He's in prison writing these words. Paul was not convinced that he'd even see the Philippians again face to face. He wanted to, but didn't know. Whatever the case, uh, his desire for them was that they would let their manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. (sighs) That's a pretty tall order, don't you think? I can't be the only one that read that and say, you want my my life to be worthy worthy of the gospel of Christ? That's almost laughable to me think about my life Um, the English words that we have here let your manner of life are there only one word in the Greek that I'm not going to try to pronounce that Greek word for you it wouldn't do you any good already can't understand my English I can't imagine what my Greek is not helpful Um, the word means to live as citizens to live as citizens. The Philippians, um, they have a strong grasp on this because uh, uh, this concept, um, they, the 
Philippi was a Roman colony within a different country. It wasn't in the country of Rome, but it's a Roman colony in Macedonia where uh, having Roman citizenship gave a person more status, gave a person different rights um, than other people. And a church is like that. We're a colony here on earth. This earth, the way it is now, is not our home. We're citizens of a different country. The church, regardless of where we are or where we are from, are citizens of a different kingdom. We are citizens of God's eternal kingdom. So Paul's exhortation to the church was to live as citizens of God's kingdom, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, I think this idea gives insight into Paul's single-mindedness because he knew who he was and he knew where he was from. And where he was from was not necessarily where he was at the time, but he didn't forget who he was. Though we live here in America, just as those Paul originally wrote to lived in Macedonia, we and they are not citizens of the country that we're in. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm still a patriot, uh, but um, my point is this is not our permanent dwelling. We are citizens of heaven, just like the Philippians are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of God's kingdom, we live in a way that's different from those around us. I want to be very clear that our behavior does not change so that we are acceptable to God. We don't change our behavior so that we are worthy of being saved. We are never going to be worthy of being saved. That's irrelevant. Our worthiness has nothing to do with whether or not God save us. By God's grace, he extends salvation to all who turn to him. But those of us who have put our trust in Christ, who believe in him, our behavior should now change because our citizenship has changed. Um, when I was in Eskew, we visited the Holy Lands. You've heard of them before on the news last night and every night. There's always conflict there. Well, when I was in school, we spent three weeks in uh, Greece and Egypt and Jordan and Israel being tourists. And though while we visited some of those places, we observed some of their customs and avoided some of their taboos. It's very hot when we're there, so we all wear shorts. Why wouldn't you? Well, our culture said wear shorts. Our culture is getting pretty close to don't wear anything. It doesn't matter. But in that culture, you can't do that. We went to a church. We're all Christians. They knew that. We get to the door, and even the men, if we wear shorts, if you have a sweatshirt, you have to tie it around so nobody sees your knees. Doesn't matter why, that's the way it was, right? Um, also, we learn it's impolite to show the bottom of your foot to someone. We learn that the hard way, just saying. 
It's a very insulting gesture in Egypt. And we, we learned those things and we observed those things so that we didn't, we didn't want to offend anyone. And though we observe their cultures, their, their, some of those um, customs, we're never citizens of those countries. We learned don't put your feet up on the back of the seat and show them to the bus driver in the mirror because he gets really mad. All right? Doesn't mean that now we're Egyptian. We're just observing the custom. We're still Americans. We tried to be polite. We didn't try to be Egyptian or Jordanian because we're citizens of a different country. The same is true for the church. We are citizens of a different country. Our customs are different. Our language is different. Our behavior is different because our king is different. So what does it mean to live as citizens of God's kingdom worthy of the gospel of Christ? Now, as tempting as it is to jump into a huge list of cross-references and different Bible verses, we have enough to go on right here in these three verses, plenty to talk about. Um, there's actually enough points in here for a three-point sermon. Can you believe that? No. I'll try to keep it to one point. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Well, how about that? Do you see three points in there? <laughs> if you say yes, you're going to get a chance to preach sometime. <laughs> they stick right out. If you say no, who knows? All right. How did Paul suggest that the church, as citizens of God's eternal kingdom, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Three things. First, it's important to note, uh, well, that's not the first thing, but before we look at those things, it's important to note that whatever these three ideas were, the church was to live them out whether Paul was there with them or not. I think this is significant in the... Uh, pastor-centered culture of the church. <laughs> um, now, I know that's not a big deal here with our family, but I am not the police. Uh, I'm not responsible for your behavior. How about that? So, uh, I've had a friend before, leaders in a church, uh, enjoying a Heineken by the pool in a hot afternoon, and the pastor drives in and they throw the beers away. Hide. The <laughs> Look out. Here it comes. This, I'm not going to talk about the benefits or, or whatever about alcohol, but that's not the life we live, right? That if you do that when I show up in your driveway, you <laughs> welcome home, Butch. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it almost seems easier, though, for us to have direct supervision of someone else because then they're responsible and not us. All right? As if somehow it's safer when we make mistakes knowing that our mentor or pastor or teacher or whatever is, is right there. That's somehow safer. 
But Paul says here that it's possible and even expected that the church should live in a manner worthy of the gospel regardless of its presence. We are all responsible individually and together corporately. All right. So, how do we do it? How did Paul expect the church to do it? Now we can look at those three things. In verse 27, the first thing is by standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. This idea uh, does harken back to Paul's letter to Ephesians. Uh, we talked about a few months ago. And when he instructs them on the armor of good. He wrote in Ephesians 6.13, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand firm. This is a military expression, to stand your ground. Right? Do you remember from when we talk about that? Like the highly trained Roman soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder with their shields overlapping and the swords at the ready, they could defend themselves as a unit, as one man. You see pictures of the Roman soldiers with all their shields. They look like turtles, right? And they can move around as a unit and they're all protected because they all kind of lock together. Uh, this is a picture of the church. The church is under constant assault. And in order to stand our ground, we must do it together. The standing our ground is important, but how we stand our ground is importanter. <laughs> when you stand up here, you can make up words if you want. <laughs> how we do it is more important. We must do it together. We don't do it on our own. One Roman soldier, easy to pick up, but the group locked together, not so easy. Division is a destroyer of churches. We must be united, stand as a unit, fighting to stand our ground and protect our little hill. We must cherish and protect the spirit of unity among us. It is a gift of God and it's worth protecting. The church as citizens of God's eternal kingdom was also to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ by with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is further evidence of God's great love for me personally. Striving side by side. Another great Greek word that I won't try to pronounce. It's a Greek word that refers to an athletic contest. Working together as a team towards a common goal. Um, and I have to be honest that though it didn't exist in Paul's day, I think baseball is a perfect picture <laughs> of how this works out for the church. They left because we're part of six baseball teams, my family. So think about it for a minute. We're all different, different in personality, different in gifts, different in abilities. Some have the right makeup for playing the outfield. They can run faster, throw longer. 
Some are made for the infield with quick reflexes and fast feet. Some of us are prima donnas, so we're built to pitch. Right? Some are workhorses, so they play catcher and take a beating. Some hit for power, but some hit for contact. But all work together in different ways towards a common goal. Now, for the church, our goal is to not score more runs and keep the other team from scoring runs. All too often, that's what divided churches. We might get along perfectly well here, but do you know how many other church fellowships are meeting here, uh, meeting in this town this morning? How come we still kind of have a us and them mentality? We might be a little divided, we might be a little different when it comes to matters of doctrine and practice, but are we not still striving for the same goal? We are, isn't it? We're not competing against them. That's not it at all. Um, our goal is to strive side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. That's an interesting expression, the faith of the gospel. It's not ju- we are not just striving for faith. We are not just striving for the gospel. It's for the faith of the gospel. You might think I'm just uh, too fine a point here. But this means that it's not just a matter of getting people to believe in Jesus. But rather, it is the totality of the Christian life. It's not just a, you come to faith, congratulations, welcome to the family. Good luck. I hope you make it all the way to the end. Right? It's the totality of the Christian life. The faith is not just what you need to believe in order to be saved. It is also the life that we are now that we now live being lived for Christ and all the implications that go with that. Transformed living, transformed thinking as a result of minds constantly being renewed by the Holy Spirit. Now that is something that we need to strive together for with one mind. And in order to be one-minded, we need to know our goal. We need to know our strategy. So what's our goal? Uh, To keep the doors open as long as we can. Right? To survive until we're dead. Right? Or make it till Jesus comes back. Is that our goal? No, it's not. What is our goal? It's to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's what the Bible tells us we are to do, the church, to make and mature disciples. So it's our strategy. Well, you didn't know what the goal is. I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to guess what the strategy is. <laughs> just, just do it. Yeah, just do it. We're not Nike. That doesn't work for us. Our goal is to make and mature disciples, and our strategy is to do it together as a family. To make and mature disciples together as a family. That's simple. And how important is this? As citizens of God's eternal kingdom, we live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ by standing firm in one spirit, 
with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel, making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 28. We've already gone through two points. You didn't know this. Verse 28 says, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now this seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Right? Work hard, strive together, be unified, or don't be scared. Well, again, our brother Paul is borrowing expression from his sport. But this time, the sport is horse racing. I don't know very much about it, but I think it's about horses and running, and that's it. It's a little bit like NASCAR, I guess. If there's a long dis debate on whether or not there's a sport, but uh, I won't get into that. There's no ball or stick involved, so I, I don't get it. But all right, so all right, to not be frightened in anything by your opponents. That means to not be spooked like a horse, and veer off course, or refuse to come out of the gate. All right. Uh, those of you who are familiar with a horse. Uh, things happen, they spook and they freak out and it can take off, throw you off or run you over or kick you in the face. Right? That's, that's why I do not have a horse. That's one of many reasons. Scary things, things that spook us, are bound to happen. Troubling things, hard things, things beyond our imagination that can discourage and divide our church family. We must not be spooked and go off course. We can't just stay in a gate. We have to run. There are those in this world who are opposed to the work of the church, who are opposed to the work of the gospel, those who do not want people to live for Jesus. Even this week, in, the, in a Senate hearing, two of our own United States senators implied that holding the true belief that Jesus Christ, uh, faith in Jesus Christ is the only pathway to salvation, they said that disqualifies a person for public service to hold that faith. That's the truth. Ironically, instead of being discouraged by that, or disheartened by those things, we should be encouraged. Why would we receive any resistance if we weren't doing the right thing? Right? If we were not threatened, if the church was not threatened, the enemy's ground in this world, why would he stand opposed to us? Eh, you guys just go play church. It doesn't matter. Just build yourself a nice building or pews and coffee and dress up for each other. It'll be great. Go ahead. I'm going to be over here killing people. <laughs> this is a clear sign, the second half of verse 28, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. Now I want you to think long and hard about that. Have you ever thought about opposition? 
as a gift from God. Not me. No, I think things go good. That's, that's got to work. Things go bad. I must have done something wrong. There's a theological expression for that. Do you know what it is? Karma. And it's not Christian. It's not in the Bible. That's not how it works. Opposition, a gift from God. And I don't mean that when our personal agendas are opposed or anything like that, but when our faith is attacked, when God's word is attacked, when God's right doctrine is attacked, when Jesus himself is attacked. Our response to those who oppose the church, who oppose the work of the Lord here on earth, how we respond as the true church is what will put our salvation on display. Do you know that? Our response to persecution, our response to opposition, will put our salvation on display. When we are not spooked like a horse by the efforts of our adversaries, but instead remain steadfast and confident in our faith and work and our Savior, the truth of our salvation and the reality of their future destruction is made manifest. Now, does that mean we stand in judgment on those men who said those things? Not our job. Not our job. They're the truth is, their judgment is made manifest already. All right? We display what team we're on, and they display what team they're on. Is that judgment? No. It's truth. Hmm. Now, lest we become proud, we must remember that it is their efforts to oppose the faith of the gospel and not our own courage in the face of that opposition that is the evidence of their destruction and the fact that they would attack us at all is the evidence of our salvation. These are both gifts from God. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that, I, that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, we're going to talk about this more next week when we keep going in this passage. But Paul's superpower may have been single-mindedness, but the secret weapon of the church is unity in the face of conflict. It's holding together when things get hard. It's standing together in the face of persecution. So, together, as we seek to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ, together as a family, let's let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not be frightened in anything by our opponents. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this exhortation this morning that this instruction and a challenge to us is for us, for your church for all time.
we thank you, Lord, for the times when uh, we're feeling blessed and everything's going good and smooth and everybody in the church is happy with each other and, and everybody's getting along great. We just feel so happy and feel like we have a little glimpse of heaven. But, Lord, we also thank you for those times when it's hard, when we disagree on things, or when other people try to destroy your word. We know, Lord, that both are gifts from you. We pray for strength to stay united in those times. In the times right now in our country where it's hard to stand up for the faith of the gospel, I pray that you would give your people courage and, and that the attacks would be evidence of our salvation and the destruction of your opponents. Father, we thank you for the great grace that is ours that you have offered to us salvation in Jesus Christ. We pray that our lives would be worthy of that gospel. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.